the last episode, Copenhagen Atomic CTO Asla Strupskat explained the details of their breeder molten salt reactor. However, so far we left out on how they started a company, funded operations for the last six years, and their unique approach to building reactors while simultaneously dealing with the legal and practical issues of wanting to deal with fissile material. But before that, Aslag explains how he got into the topic of nuclear reactors and how he met his co-founders. While I was studying, I sort of looked at what would I like to spend my time on? What are some of the, the new exciting fields science and technology that are going to happen in my lifetime. And I I've seen and, and read about Monsol reactors throughout the years prior. And, and this was around the time that, that many of the documents were uh, for from the 60s of the program was released. And particularly um, a guy called Kirk Sonson was doing a lot of great talks on online and filled by a guy named Gordon McDowell. And, and then putting out all this information inspired a lot of people to go into this field, including me and also including uh, my co-founders. Yeah, so at the time I was studying, I was sort of looking at what what were some interesting fields to to come in early on and be part of laying the groundwork. Um, and it, this just seemed like a, a ripe opportunity, I guess. I started thinking about how, how do I contribute to this and how could I possibly write my thesis in, in this uh, work here. And uh, around that time, people in Copenhagen were also starting to meet and talk about this technology. And I sort of caught wind of this and and, and came to some of these meetings and, and talked to the people. And uh, around this time, a company was founded uh, sort of from from early on, I was just very engaged in, in, in making sure that this is something that's going to happen hmm. uh, and, and doing my part to sort of see that come to fruition. How did you get wind of it? Was it meetup or some Facebook groups or? Yeah, it was a, it was a meetup group actually uh, on on the website meetup mm -hmm. in Copenhagen. Just people interested in oh, cool. in thorium and molten salt reactors meeting up. So yeah, it's a <laughs> that's how I guess a, a nuclear company uh, in Denmark can get started. Mm -hmm. Just people <laughs> meeting over beer and discussing the technology and and at that time it didn't. There were some companies that had already started, but it didn't seem like very much what's happening. And and the interesting thing about molten reactors compared to some of the other te uh, technologies in, in nuclear and also even in fission or fusion, I mean, is that they sort of lend themselves to being developed by a small team or even a startup like ours because the technology is it's much smaller. It's, it's basically uh, metallic piping and uh, a few components. There's a, besides a bunch of very complicated chemistry and, and, and some nuclear physics, it's not these giant machines and, and there's no reason that you have to, to build them out of the most expensive materials known to man. So it's a very different kind of like development than a, a fusion reactor, or a traditional fission reactor. And that sort of led us to look at, well, what is actually stopping this technology from being exploited? And it seemed like it was mostly just technical aspects like actually developing the components and figuring out the supply chain and going and building these because most of the basic science was studied in the 60s and 70s and many of the basic questions were answered back then so it was sort of uh, this uh, gold mine of like uh, just go do it and, and figure out how to do it today and maybe some of the things how to figure figure out how to do it in a smarter way mm -hmm. and what's the what was the the, the first part then that you kind of developed What are the first step that you took after funding the company? Yeah, many of many companies in the nuclear industry sort of go the route of of designing a full reactor and, and a feasibility study of 
all the components down to the steam turbine and, and even site planning. And, and our approach was more looking at all the components that would have to go in a reactor like this and, and not having any defined plan for how the final reactor is, like how each pipe is going to fit together, but more or less like how do we build all the systems that, that go together to build a, a, a complete design or a complete reactor. And knowing that along that way, along that journey, we were going to learn a lot of things of what works and what doesn't work. So it wouldn't even make sense to, to design a reactor early on because it's going to change so many times along the route. Uh, so we're sort of looking at, okay, what what components can we buy? And, and more or less just let's try and build some simple test system without radioactive salts. And we sort of had the idea that at, at least from existing components, we would be able to to buy a fair amount of the things, but it, it quickly became apparent that besides the steel piping, uh, almost everything was was not something that was industry uh, used because it's these high temperature salts that are not used. Uh, there's a little bit of use of salts of a different kind for thermal storage, but all of that, it's, we basically had to develop all the components uh, from scratch. So you basically went the, the classic startup minimal viable product route instead of trying to come up with everything at once and then trying to get the regulations approved and everything. Yeah, definitely. And that's still the journey we're on today. It's uh, it's still the, the question of how do you make a minimal viable product in terms of a test reactor? Uh, so not putting in all the bells and whistles, but sort of figuring out all the minimal components that are needed to start one of these test reactors as a multiple reactor and sort of adding on features uh, further on. And this was six years ago. So where where does the money come from? <laughs> yeah, in the beginning, it was uh, a lot of the funding was uh, from ourselves and from a few early investors, private investors. And, and early on, we, we also didn't use that many money because we were working uh, for free and we were building um, simple test systems and trying to figure out like how do we do salt treatment? How do we purify the salts? How do we, uh, what kind of flanges do we want to use? Um, testing different valves. Uh, and we sort of, as we gained experience, we also got some uh, some Danish public grants uh, and also more investors. But all the way up until today, it's it's basically private investors and, and a few public grants. I mean, six years, six years is a very, very long time to go with close to no revenue because I, only so recently that you started selling some of your reactors or some of those test reactors, those one megawatt. Interestingly enough, one of them on, on Amazon as well. <laughs> yeah, so those are those are test systems and, and, and not reactors yet, at least. And this is sort of part of this developing the technology. It's a, You need a lot of testing and, and each single component also down to electronics and software needs to be tested. Uh, and so we built these platforms where we can run pump tests and, and valve tests and, and heating sensor tests. And these are the size of a Euro pallet. So they are not producing any energy and they currently don't have any radioactive salts in them. But we then sell these uh, to other, for example, research facilities that want to work with molten salts or, or even some of the other companies that we collaborate with in this space to develop some of their components. Uh, and the idea here is sort of, it's, it's not that it, we're in that much revenue from it, but more that we... We create collaboration relationships and, and partnerships in the industry. And so some of the technology that we have developed, others can benefit from, and then we can benefit from their developments on top of this platform. Mm -hmm. So the idea is rather to help everyone achieve this massive goal of somehow getting rid of um, fossil fuels by just putting it out there. 
Yeah, so we spent a, a fair amount of years getting this platform to the point where it is now. And, and we know that if other people started doing the same work now, they would basically have to go through the same development. And for a researcher that wants to study corrosion mechanisms, it doesn't really add any value that they spend years and, and a lot of uh, grant money to, to develop their own loops if they just want to study corrosion. Then we can offer this loop uh, and, and sort of be part of that study and sort of and maybe even influence what kind of materials are being looked at in these corrosion studies or other studies, whether it's a component, maybe we can buy that component further down the line. And it's a lot to, to do if, if every single startup that is looking to build these sort of reactors have to do everything by themselves, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a long journey. And, and we'd rather sort of uh, see the whole field succeed and, and, and then work together uh, in a field now where there's, there's no reason really for competition because there's no reactors online. Maybe there'll be a lot of competition uh, in a few years' time when, when people start actually selling their reactors. But right now, it's, it's just a matter of, of, of building them and making them work. Mm -hmm. And the, the market is big enough for many players, of course, because we're talking about an industry that's currently coal, oil, and gas. So, yeah, it's not going to be a single company that has all that market. No, probably not. <laughs> so when you say you, you spent a good amount of years on that, where... What, what is the next plan for, let's say, next 5, 10, 20 years? Yeah, so the current plan is to uh, keep iterating on this uh, testing platform to basically make it into a 1 megawatt demonstration reactor. And the reason we're going for a 1 megawatt demonstration reactor is that it's much more easy to get approval for a test reactor that doesn't produce any electricity than a commercial power reactor. And, and again, we also know from all our testing that Things are gonna break, and and uh, and you're gonna learn many things about your design that you wish to design another way. So all of these learning we can sort of put into a commercial reactor without having to go through the same expensive uh, approval process. So we chose the path of of building all these uh, subsystems and components, and and now we're in the process of sort of putting all that together to make a one megawatt demonstration reactor, and and we plan to do that in a, in about five years time. And before we do that, we we are now then currently constructing a prototype of this one megawatt demonstration reactor. And that's even before we, we try and put in nuclear fuel. We want to basically have all the components that and that goes into this uh, one megawatt demonstration reactor and run that without uh, radioactive salt to start with, and then further on with radioactive salt, but without any fuel, and sort of see that everything works together. And even this is something that takes a fair amount of time. So this is something we, we plan to have done within the next one and a half years, roughly. And that's just for taking all the technology we develop now and then making sure that it all works together on a larger scale. And as you may say, the size of this thing is roughly the size of a 40-foot shipping container. Um, and that's the same size as commercial unit we've planned, which is a 100 megawatt thermal uh, molten salt reactor, where the reactor core is inside of a 40-foot uh, sized uh, containment vessel. 40-foot uh, shipping container-sized containment vessel. Mm -hmm. Could I stand next to that thing? No, not at all. Okay. Like, you, you could stand to, next to it while it's being constructed, but while it's running, it would be, yeah, yeah, it would be very deadly. Okay. Same as any other reactor, or same yeah. for a, a fusion reactor or a like neutron spallation source. Mm -hmm. when, when you have this amount of radiation, it's, uh, yeah, you need a lot of shielding. 
Yeah. So it's not something you just drive in on a parking lot and, and start up. Okay. All right. I was just asking because um, I'm not sure who it was. Maybe, maybe Commonwealth Fusion um, that they were planning on having like their reactors in, I don't know how many years in, in those normal lorries and just drive them around to places where they need them. Yeah, again, with the even fusion reactors. So while they're running, they also produce a lot of radiation. And they also activate the materials around the core of the fusion reactor. And so you might be able to drive them out to the site on a lorry. But as soon as you start them, you need uh, shielding, or at least you need a fair amount of uh, distance to the, to the thing. And I wouldn't know their specific plans, but I would assume that you wouldn't be able to just drive that lorry through town afterwards either simply because of the activation of the material inside. So no no Batman begin. No, yeah, there was actually built a, a, a fission reactor that fits on the uh, back of the lorry, a military program from the 70s, I think. It's American one where they built a small fission reactor um, that fits on the back of a, a custom truck, more or less. And, and you could then drive this to a site and, and start it up. And it also had the power conversion system inside, a Brayton cycle power conversion. So fairly cool uh, little nuclear reactor, but I even think they had issues with shielding, and they basically just made a very large fence around it, and where you went like an exclusion zone where you're not allowed to go inside. And then those hundred megawatts are, as far as I've heard, supposed to be in, in an assembly line, so you can just produce one after another to get them out. Yeah, yeah. Again, the reason there is that if we want to have a technology that can scale to meet global energy demand, we need thousands of reactors. Mm-hmm. So current energy needs is like a little, like around 18 terawatts of energy. And so you can see if you're trying to replace that with nuclear, even if you make a gigawatt size reactors, you still need thousands of them. Yep. Uh, and we're planning to use, uh, make 100 megawatt thermal reactors. So we need many thousands of these reactors. And of course, many of them can be placed on the same site. So if you have uh, some place that can consume a lot of energy, you can also place many of these reactors in a row. Uh, it's just that it's very beneficial to have a technology that you can develop in a factory rather than, than on-site, yep. that you can ship out and, and turn on at the site, but that you can construct in an assembly line fashion because we know that that's how, uh, from many other technologies, that's how we get the cost down. Mm-hmm. If I were now completely obsessed with this topic and would want to know more, is there any... Any reasonably uh, easy introduction to everything or only only papers? And where would I need to look for that? That's a good question. It, it is a very complicated subject and there's a lot of both technology and history and and, and many aspects that sort of uh, make this the perfect storm of, uh, of a technology. But uh, well, hopefully this podcast can serve as a, an, an early start for some people, but I would probably suggest to go on YouTube and, and look at some of the many talks that are there on there and yeah, follow along the field. There isn't any uh, good uh, good course that I'm aware of. And I, I only think this is something that's just now being started to be taught at universities. Uh, so it is something fairly new and where you can still get in early and be part of this uh, technology no. development. I would have one more question, a bit more personal. That's fine. You're the youngest one. Of all of them, has there any particular in the beginning any any issue with uh, imposter along the line? No, I wouldn't think so. I, it's of course uh, being uh, younger uh, uh, among a group of uh, of older founders is of course very beneficial from my point of view because that comes with a lot of experience from their point of view. 
So I, we started as a group of engineers and, and scientists, both in my background is in physics, but also in in uh, mechanics and in, in chemistry and, and software. So it was a very diverse group of people. Uh, with, with, we basically together had all the skills sort of to to build this uh, technology, at least in an early stage. Now we are, of course, at a point where we need many more people and, and many more skills that we don't have to both build technology parts and components that we haven't done already, but also to to scale the, the business and and the team. But it is kind of a crazy thing to, to start a company creating nuclear reactors in Denmark. Um, and, and so, of course, I, I wouldn't say so much imposter syndrome, but just like, uh, uh, yeah, how, are we even allowed to do this kind of syndrome? Uh, and, uh, but of course it's, it's like very exciting and, and ex- uh, thrilling to, to be able to, to develop a technology. Of course, the base, uh, was sort of late in the sixties and seventies, but to be part of a completely new technology that has the potential to change like humanity's history. Because every time we unlocked a new energy source that had orders of magnitude, more uh, abundance of energy, human existence also changed proportionally. Um, mm. So it's, it's, it's very exciting to sort of see what kind of technologies can come from this. Because the first step is sort of just making uh, a new level of energy available for the world. But the exciting part is almost what, what would that allow in terms of manufacturing and, and new technologies. and space exploration and yeah all the other things that follow from abundance of energy no and we've been running on all for for over 100 years now but what's the what sort of the future gonna bring thank you very much for for joining and hopefully see you soon once we're allowed to leave the house again yeah thank you very much for having me and uh, you're of course welcome to come visit us here in uh, copenhagen when uh, when when travel is allowed again hi philip here Before you leave, I just wanted to thank you for listening and I hope you learned something in this episode. If that is the case, why not message me at philip at deeptechstories.io. I'm always curious about what you took away and look forward to a discussion with you. That is p-h-i-l-i-p-p at deeptechstories.io. It would also help me out a great deal if you could recommend the episode to a friend of yours that might find it interesting as well. 